everyone, Alana here, and it's been a lot of fun making this podcast. I get to talk about what I love, meet some really cool people doing it, and I have total creative freedom. Are you interested in making your own podcast? Go for it, and go for it with Anchor. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more platforms. There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And best of all, it's free. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Girl Presses Play. So this week on our documentary episode, it's going to be similar to our animation episode in that we are taking a look at a medium that has become a genre. It seems even just a few decades ago when people thought of documentaries, they thought of slow, kind of dense, dry, fact-filled movies or TV shows that are only really interesting to people who are interested in the topic to begin with. But I think that changed a lot when, in 2004, two big blockbuster documentaries came out. Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 451 and Morgan Spurlock's Super Size Me, which everyone was talking about them. Everyone had seen them. They weren't just these niche films that only cinephiles like myself or people that were really interested in their topics had seen. They were topics of popular conversation. They were water cooler conversations, I guess you could say. And not only did that popularize documentary, but... It really seemed to mark how the medium pivoted to documentaries that became more and more about the distinctive voices of the filmmaker and their perspective on the subject, rather than just a very either cinema verite approach, like one of the, you know, up movies, seven up, 14 up, or something, and I love this guy, but something like a Ken Burns documentary, where it's very much about the fact and the academic value of it. So today, we're going to be looking at four different documentaries. Agnes Varda's The Black Panthers, Street 66 by Ayo Akingbade, Paris is Burning by Jenny Livingston, and Banksy's Exit Through the Gift Shop, and see how their films' distinct styles compare to each other, and what they say about the growth and change of documentaries themselves. So a little history about the documentary genre slash medium before we get started. So the first recorded documentary film was 1922's Nanook of the North, and it was about an Inuit family living in Canada. And from there, the documentaries that were most popular were honestly propaganda films used on both sides of the war in World War II, and that was the closest thing for a long time that came to mainstream documentary filmmaking. Then in the 70s, when more consumer-friendly tech came out, filmmakers started really exploring the cinema verite style, or natural cinema style, if you'd like to use the English word, 
And that style really focuses on observation much more than subjectivity. It's not about the voice of the filmmaker, but more of what the filmmaker is filming and not needing to kind of justify or support that with any sort of subjectivity or perspective put on it. A great example of the cinema verite style from the 70s is Agnes Varda's short documentary, The Black Panthers from 1970. For a brief synopsis, it was filmed at the Black Panther Party-led protests in Oakland over the arrest of Huey Newton. And this film is very interesting because, first off, it's made not only by a white woman, but it's made by a white woman who didn't grow up in America. I haven't been able to find too much about why she specifically picked this topic to make a documentary on. I know at the time she was living with her husband, Jacques Demy, in Los Angeles while he was making his first American film. But what is interesting, and I think this is because she's not from America, there's not really any glorifying of the Black Panther Party, but there's not a lot of chastising either. So it seems like Varda not only wants the, I wouldn't say material, but what's being documented and presented. I think she not only wants it to kind of stand on its own and not be seen through the prism of someone else as much as possible. But I think she also really wants the audience to decide what they think about what they're seeing. Even tried to look for something where Varda is saying how she feels about the film or what she's passionate about. And in her Criterion Collection intro, she really doesn't talk about how she feels about the film at all. She really just talks about what the film represents and what the film shows. She basically just recounts everything that happens in the documentary, which I think is really interesting because you really don't see that not only in documentary, but in narrative film as well. And it really takes a talented director like the late Varda to not have to justify their work, but make something strong enough and artful enough that people do feel the meaning or they take their own meaning from it. I think also the remove from the subject matter was really great because just the images that you see and the and the conflict that's going on in back in 1970 it's still very relevant even what 50 years later so I definitely recommend giving this a watch and especially because it's only 28 minutes so if you're new to the documentary world definitely check out this eerily timely and wonderful piece from a really really talented director the Oakland police well known for its brutality never misses the chance to harass the Black Panthers to search them to trap them to enter their houses without warrants and even to shoot them as they did Bobby Hutton, 17 years old, who was running without arms, having left a basement where he and Eldridge Cleaver had taken refuge after a gun battle involving 50 policemen shooting a thousand rounds. It was April 6th, two days after the assassination of Martin Luther King. 
And we flash forward about 40 years later to the short documentary Street 66 by Ayo Akingbade. This documentary focuses on the housing development called Angel Town in Brixton, England. And it mainly focuses on the community activist Dora Buatama, who was responsible for basically completely revamping the space and making sure that the community actually got its needs met in terms of, you know, doors that lock and community spaces where they could learn. And she really was an amazing woman. That's very clear to see from this film. There's a lot of connective tissues I found between Street 66 and... Black Panthers, not just because they're both movies about social issues that impact not only the US or London in Street 66's case, but the entire world, but also how they approach the visuals of the documentary. Both are shot in what you would call Academy Ratio, where for those of you who don't know what Academy Ratio is, it's basically just a square and it's mostly shot on 16 millimeter film and also uses lots of archival footage, but I think this film feels a lot more personal and reflective in that a king bait actually goes to people who had worked with Guatemala people who knew her personally and they really get a sense of who she was not just as an activist but as a person so there's a much more kind of intimate and personal feel to this documentary and it also feels like this film is a bit of a more active participant in the subject matter matter, rather than Varda's respectful remove from the subject of racial oppression in America. And while a Kingbait has said that Agnes Varda's documentary is about the Black Panther Party were an inspiration for her No News Today trilogy, there's a lot more vibrance and life and color that she tries to put into this film. That's probably not just because, you know, making a film in 2018, you're afforded a lot more editing technology than in 1970. But there's also, it seems like a Kingbait is trying to revisualize what housing developments in the UK look like instead of these dreary, drab, kind of hopeless places. She's trying to make them look as beautiful and vibrant and full of hope that she possibly can. Hold for Street 66 audio clip. Hold for Street 66 audio clip. You can watch Street 66 right now on the Anthology Film Archives video page. Our next two films that we're going to discuss may seem quite different on the surface, but again, they do have some of that interesting connective tissue that we can learn a lot from. Our first film that we're going to be talking about is 1990's Paris is Burning by is 1990's Paris is Burning by Jenny Livingston. The film follows the underground ballroom scene of New York City in the late 1980s, early 90s, and it follows the different families and performers within this community and shows how they used art really and performance to create a new kind of family. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with the underground ballroom scene or voguing, if you've heard of the show Pose on FX, Ryan Murphy's show, that was very heavily influenced by this film. And actually the film's director, Jenny Livingston, is a consulting producer on it as well. I hadn't watched this film in a while. I think the first time I saw it was about five years ago or so. And what struck me about rewatching it, especially watching it, during the pandemic and during this election is how 
relentlessly hopeful all of the subjects are, or I should say most of the subjects are, about their lives and the future in the face of such adversity surrounding them. I thought that was a really melancholy, beautiful element of it. And I think it really speaks to what the film does such a good job of is while it really does a great job of visualizing and just showing the glamour and the beauty and the aliveness of the underground ballroom scene, it also does a really good job of humanizing all of these performers. They're not just, you know, circus people for our pleasure and entertainment. They're, you know, humans with emotions and ups and downs and they want things out of life. And I thought the documentary did a really, really good job of showing that instead of just showing the ballroom culture and then kind of explaining that with all these different facts and statistics because ballroom performers aren't statistics. They're human beings that we can and should relate to. Hold for Paris is Burning audio clip. I think if I could just be on TV or film or anything, I'd do that instead of the money. Of course, I do want the money because I want the luxury that goes with it. But I want to be wealthy. If not wealthy, content, comfortable. You know? I want to be somebody. I mean, I am somebody. I just want to be a rich somebody. (laughs) And along with being human, I think what it shows, which is really interesting, is for lack of a better word, the territorialism of creative. So like, I created this, I did that, I did this move better than this other performer from this other house, or I'm a better house mother than this house mother. I thought there was a lot of territorialism, which I also think is a very human thing that we can all relate to. A great example of it is, and I also want to preface this with, of course, I consider this I consider this plagiarism is when they go into the idea of what voguing is and how it started in underground ballroom culture. And then, of course, we all know Madonna's Vogue video came out in the early 90s, and it shows the community's reaction to her basically taking something that she didn't create, using it, and then taking all of the credit for it. Um, So it makes you kind of understand that Terry territorialism of I did this, I created this, because when you create something, you would think it's not something that can be taken away from you. And I think that documentary shows that aspect of life really, really well. For some reason, this movie isn't readily available online, and I'm not exactly sure why, but if you want some alternative viewing in place of Paris is Burning, I have heard the documentary... The Queen by Frank Simon, which is about the Miss All-American Camp beauty pageant in 1968. Uh, Jules' Catch One by C. Fitz is also supposed to be very good. And if you want some more narrative viewing pose, I believe the first two seasons are on Netflix right now. And our final film that we're talking about is definitely the most subjective on this list. We are talking about 2010's Exit Through the Gift Shop. For those of you who haven't seen it, the premise is a little confusing, so I'll go slowly and just follow along. So 
The film originally starts being made by Thierry Guetta, who is this French filmmaker living in Los Angeles, and he starts making a film about Banksy, but then the camera kind of flips so that it's a film by Banksy about Thierry Guetta, who adopts the persona Mr. Brainwash as a street artist and... This film really explores the idea of what is street art, when does street art stop being street art, and how much is art about the participation. And also it asks the question, who should be an artist? (laughs) Which I think is an awkward but important question to ask. Um, Honestly, I could probably do an entire episode on just this film because there's so much going on on it. But I think what's interesting is that even though it's very subjective in its approach. It doesn't try to hide it. I think a great example of this is in comparison to Agnes Varda's The Black Panthers, the narration is very fact-based. It's just about the who, what, when, where, why. Whereas the narration in this film, it's very much about telling a story and highlighting certain details that the filmmaker really wants you to pick up on rather than feeling informative, it feels more perspective shaping, if you will. Another interesting thing that I found while doing research for this film is that there were two big film critics that used the phrase mirrors or hall of mirrors in their reviews. Owen Gilberman from Entertainment Weekly and Kenneth Turon from Los Angeles Times. They both referred to the movie, specifically the last half of the movie, as a hall of mirrors. And What that says to me is that the movie isn't just about Banksy and Thierry Getty becoming Mr. Brainwash. It is also turning a mirror on the audience and asking them to really think about what their thoughts on art is and who should be an artist. And I think that really makes sense for this film because art is all about participation, which is what the audience is really forced to do here is participate in the conversation. And it's true that an argument can be made about the fact that it's not maybe a documentary as much as it's a satire or there was one review that called it a prankumentary, which I thought was an interesting phrase. But I think that it really asks the question, what is a documentary? Is it to tell the truth and nothing but the truth? Is it to tell the filmmaker's truth or illuminate a truth that we may not have been aware of before. It's it's an interesting question because it also makes it seem like the film itself is asking the question about what is a documentary. A part of me feels like I'm just talking in circles and zigzags while talking about this movie, but I do think that's kind of how the movie flows as well. I mean, there's a clear inciting incident, intro to main character, you know, the structure is there and the structure is solid, but it takes so many twists and turns that you really don't know where your footing is. And again, when you're not going in the straight and narrow way, it really forces you to be very actively participating with the film and thinking about everything that's going on in it. I just love this movie. All that it is and all that it isn't. Why don't we just leave it at there? Now, Tate Britain in Pimlico refused to discuss security arrangements today after a graffiti artist known as Banksy was able to leave one of his own paintings in the gallery's landscape room. I hear about this Banksy. Who's Banksy, Banksy, this. And I said, I really like that guy, you know? And it's like, uh, I want, I want 
I want to interview this guy. Terry wasn't the only one intrigued. By now, word about this mystery provocateur and his increasingly ambitious adventures was radiating far beyond the world of street art. Banksy had started out as a provincial graffiti artist, but before long, his stencils were appearing all over Britain. Through a series of DIY art shows, Banksy was now taking vandalism in an entirely new direction. You can watch Exit Through the Gift Shop on Amazon Prime right now, as well as rent it on YouTube, YouTube, Google Play, and Apple TV. There are also a couple of free versions and pretty good quality versions of it on YouTube, which usually I wouldn't advise you to do because that's piracy, but I have a weird feeling that that's what Banksy would want, is for this movie to just be free and available to the world. So those four documentaries that we just talked about are some of my favorites, but we also have some listener recommendations. Screenwriter and playwright Gary Wright recommended stories we tell from actor-filmmaker Sarah Poli, and writer Tyg Deerfield recommended Sunday in Brazzaville, directed by Enrique Bach and Adria Moniz. These days... Especially right now, we live in a time of mediated information, whether it's through social media or our YouTube page or just the news outlets we follow. Everything is pretty much mediated and contrived, for lack of a better word, in some way, shape or form. But I really think that documentaries, no matter how subjective they are, they really do aim to bring us the truth, whether that's a specific truth or the capital T truth. And whether it's a film as objective as Black Panthers or Paris is Burning, or it's much more personal and subjective, such as Street 66 and Exit Through the Gift Shop, we do come to understand at least something with a depth and clarity that we hadn't before, or perhaps are galvanized to learn more about it after viewing. I think either approach to a documentary, it puts us on the right path. Canadian cinematographer Michelle Brault put it really, really well. He said, I don't know what truth is. Truth is something unattainable. We can't think we're creating truth with the camera, but what we can do is reveal something to viewers that allows them to discover their own truth. And I think that's a really important quote for not just documentary, but also for films in general, is that, yes, we can't create truth no matter how hard we try, but we can do our best to celebrate it and support it and maybe find some of it. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. A very special thanks to our Patreon supporters, John F., Variolo Fencing, LLC, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is